The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're focusing once again on rental property law and joining me in our Cape Town studios this evening is our regular guest, attorney Marlon Chevalu, who practices as Marlon Chevalu and Associates here in Cape Town. Marlon, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Corin. Always great to be here. It's a long month this month, so it's been a while since we've seen you. I think the winter's made it feel a little bit longer. Yes, but, uh, it's very cold in Cape to be, at the uh... moment. <laughs> just a reminder that if you need any information regarding the law report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. And if you'd like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. So if you have any questions about rental property law, if you're a landlord or a tenant, you want to know anything about your lease or, or you wanting tenants to get out of your property, anything to do with rental property, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. The SABC is inviting potential suppliers to submit proposals for the supply of two times eight ton trucks. Tender documents are obtainable from the 2nd of July 2013 between 8 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon upon receipt of proof of payment of a non-refundable fee of 1,000 Rand made to SABC Limited at ABSA. The account number is 284-000-1124. The branch is Auckland Park and the reference number is SGE slash 08T slash 13 slash 05. The closing date is the 2nd of August 2013 at 12 o'clock. For inquiries relating to collection of documents, you can contact the tender office on 011-714-4764, the SABC Radio Park, Henley Road, Auckland Park, Johannesburg. For more information, you can go to the SABC website. It's www.sabc.co.za. The Law Report with Karen Key. Marlon, so the problem with uh, tenants and landlords never seems to quite go away. It seems to be an ongoing issue. So just a reminder, if you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. I think let's start off talking about the CPA, the Consumer Protection Act, and how that is affecting leases and the rental property industry. Is it a good thing, a bad thing? <laughs> or is it half of one and half of the other? Pretty much that. I, th- I think what's important to realize is that, firstly, the Consumer Protection Act is not a rental Protection Act. In other words, it's not specifically designed to be a follow-up to the Rental Housing Act. In fact, it's a completely separate set of legislation which applies to any industries in this country unless they're specifically exempt. The problem, however, is that the Consumer Protection Act has specific reference to leases and to rentals and to who a supplier is and who a consumer is. And by virtue of that and by virtue of the fact that a lot of the final regulations attached to the Consumer Protection Act is based squarely, actually, on the Unfair Trading Act and the law of tenancy in in England, there's no denying that the Act, the CPA at least, applies to rental property law. So what we've got is we've got this incredible Act, which is as yet untested in South African law, filtering in to rental property law. Just as a, as a point in issue, the, rest, the, the Rental Housing Tribunal in the Western Cape now have taken a decision that if a landlord um, is faced with a tenant that is cancelling his lease and that landlord is entitled to claim a reasonable cancellation penalty, which he is, of course, the, the actual loss of income of the landlord is deemed to be a reasonable cancellation penalty. So there's no law on what a reasonable cancellation penalty is, but our courts and our tribunals are having to make up 
not make up the law as such, but look at what would be fair, what would be reasonable in the circumstances. So there's going to be a lot of fun coming along simply because there are going to be attorneys out there who are going to be making the law. And this law and this act is going to be tested throughout the country to the highest courts in the land. And only once we have those decisions will we have the direction that we need to guide our landlords, our tenants, our estate agents, etc. So really, really interesting times. So we just really have to wait for a few cases, almost as test cases, to come along before we can see where we're going with this. Absolutely. Just as a, as a, as a side issue, you know, the whole thing about evicting a tenant from a residential property, that act of evicting somebody is regulated by the PI Act, which is the Prevention of Illegal Eviction from an Unlawful Occupation of Land Act of 1998. That act only found applicability to residential evictions by a determination by the Supreme Court of Appeal Beforehand, that act did not apply to residential leases. So similarly, we might find that the act will have certain application or not to certain areas of rental property law, but when it goes to a court of law, such as the Supreme Court of Appeal or the Constitutional Court, you will find that there are various sections of the Consumer Protection Act which may or may not actually apply to the rental property industry. So for now, it's all touch and go, and uh, that's why it makes the times much more interesting. And we, we're waiting to see what happens when it does come to one of those higher uh, courts in our country. Because the Pi Act initially wasn't supposed to be no. used the way it's being used at the moment. No, but because of a court decision, it does have. So using mm. that as an analogy, once we have a court decision with regard to the Consumer Protection Act, we will find that it does or does not have application. Bear in mind the following, Corin. The Act can only be changed by a legislative decision or by a court of law. Now, if you're looking at the legislative decision, that decision could have been made long before the Act came into being. It was a draft set of papers. It was a bill. It went out for submissions. People put their comments through to the Department of Trade and Industry. Rob Davies was emailed left, right and centre, no doubt, about certain idiosyncrasies of the Act. But the legislation was passed and the Act applies. So if we're looking at a legislative action to change it, we might have to wait a while. That's why we have courts. Courts create law, the common law. And that, in my opinion, is where the Consumer Protection Act is going to be challenged and invariably changed to accommodate those people who are suffering. And it's not just the tenants, it's predominantly the landlords because of certain legislation and certain um, sections of the Act, which are quite, quite draconian. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. We have uh, some callers waiting. Albert in Brackpan, good evening. Good evening to you. Hi, how can we help, Albert? And thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is, I have uh, had experience in rental problem, very recent. Um, I had a property in the market that was sold. Upon the signing and acceptance of the official offer to purchase, the purchaser then requested to take occupation prior to transfer um, property registration. Mm. Obviously, all the documents were already given through to the conveyance attorneys. He had signed uh, the documents which made the whole thing legal. I then agreed as the seller to allow him to, to move in mm. on a rental instead of the normal um, occupational rent, which is a percentage of the sale. Mm. I agreed to let him pay the rental that I was charging the previous uh, tenants, which was much less than what he would have otherwise paid as a percentage of the occupational rent. This particular um, 
tenants gave us a three-month payment in advance in the form of checks, and all those checks were returned and not honored. And upon following up, he gave uh, he gave me the whole runaround. Basically, he then paid one installment via a bank transfer, and that was it. Basically, the whole thing fell apart. Only this week, this past week, did he contact the attorneys and said he is no longer um, interested in proceeding with the sale, which is way over three months down the line. If there was any quilling period, in fact, the property is way above the quilling period, the normal 250000 allowed for the quilling period. Um, so that's the dilemma I'm sitting with. Then I contacted him telephonically myself after the lawyers have sent him a letter and said, kindly return the keys so we can have access to the property and remove your furniture. You have to move. We gave him 48 hours. He did not, but he promised to do so. It's been a week. We cannot get hold of him, and we do not. We have a dilemma in that we do not want to get into the property and then be accused of having removed whatever that he may have kept in the property. Mm. So it's a question in two situations. Oh. I'd just like an advice on this. Okay, Albert, let me, let me give you a bit of advice. It's quite a, it's quite a multidimensional question. There. Let me ask you one quick question. Yes. When he signed the offer to purchase, did he pay a deposit? Did he not pay a 10% he, he deposit? Paid the, no, the deposit was obviously going through the conveyance attorneys. Yes. But did he not uh, pay a deposit towards the purchase price? Because usually there's a 10% deposit and the balance is paid no, against registration. No, that was not paid. Okay, so that wasn't he paid. He promised. He committed. He promised. Okay. And that was the cash payment, according to him, in writing with the attorneys. And that did not happen. Okay, well, the fact is that he didn't pay the deposit. Uh so transfer has not taken place. What has happened, obviously, is he's moved in, and, and usually what, it's not really a problem if a property is sold and a 10% deposit is paid, because then you know you've got ROCOP, you've got liquidated damages in case the tenant or the purchaser in this instance doesn't fulfill his, his duties in terms of the contract. But in this Correct. instance, he would have, in, in the normal circumstances, have taken occupation and paid an occupational rental pending transfer. So you would have received money towards the bond until he took transfer and it became his problem. What happened in this instance is it's quite a strategic move on his part. He relied on, on your good nature and moved yeah. into the property. And the minute he moved into the property, he became your tenant. And the minute that he didn't pay that rental, and I assume he was sent a letter of demand to pay, because even though you've got a potential sale on, on the go and which is pending perhaps guarantees or a bank giving approval, at that point in time and pending him taking transfer, you're still the owner and he is invariably your tenant. So the question I need to ask you is, did you send a letter of demand calling for payment? I have fairly recently. Okay. Um, and Probably less than, about 10 days ago. Yeah. Okay, because we've got to treat it like a lease agreement. I can't treat it like a potential sale. If you want to treat it as a breach of a sale agreement, then you have your rights. You have a right to claim the damages you sustained, which could be the value of, firstly, the commission that needs to be paid to the agent and maybe your, your actual loss for the sale. But in this instance, if we treat it purely as a lease agreement, it's a tenant moving into your property and not paying you rental. The fact that he gave you checks, which I assume were post-dated checks... 
Yes, they were presented okay. checks. And those PD checks, PD checks were probably presented to the bank and, and remanded. So, in other words, you would have had a claim against him. Uh, you would have been able to bring what we call a provisional sentence summons for the amounts that he owes. But your short answer now is that you have a tenant or you have an unlawful occupier in your property and you need to get him out. You, yep. you are correct in your assumption that you don't want to just move in there or take his stuff out or unlock it because even if this gentleman has not paid you your rental, he still has effectively occupation of the property. And by virtue of that, if you have to go ahead and get rid of him, you're actually c committing an act of spoliation. You're unlawfully depriving him of his right to be there even though he has no right to be there. So it is a catch-22. My best suggestion to you would be to consider what damages you've got and proceed with an action for that. Secondly, to if you've done your demand correctly and if you've cancelled his lease correctly, because there are specific time limits in terms of the Consumer Protection Act and irrespective of the value of the property, you need to bring an application to evict him. The costs of evicting him and any damages you suffered all make part and parcel of your claim against him. And that is something that you'll need to quantify. But if you want to get him out, you've got to bring an eviction application and you've got to get a court order. Because only once you've got free and vacant occupation of that property, in my opinion, can you even think of trying to unsell that property. Because no one's going to buy that property when they know that there's somebody in there, especially somebody who isn't paying a rental. So this becomes a much more costly exercise. And that's the problem. Unfortunately, that's, I mean, that's the situation. But now you're telling, you're telling Albert that he needs to bring an action for all the damages. I mean, this guy hasn't paid the deposit for the house. He hasn't paid rent for three months. I mean, it doesn't sound like he's got any money. No, but don't forget that if you do issue summons, invariably there'll be no defense. So you'll get a judgment. Now, that judgment might not you know, bring satisfaction to you now. It might be what we call a Pyrrhic victory, which is spending money and getting nothing. But firstly, he can get blacklisted. Secondly, with a judgment against his name, he can't get credit. Thirdly, if he's employed, you can attach his salary. If he earns his commission, you can attach his commission. So you will have this judgment hanging over his head like the sword of Damocles until he has something in the future. But that's not your first prize. Your first prize is to get a court order against him. Something you can do, which, which is something I might suggest to you, it's also a little bit costly, is what we call a Section 32 application, whereby you have to approach the court to ask that all his movables be attached and removed at the same time, taken to a place of safety, and at the same time commence action against him to get the money that's owing to you. You've got a couple of options owing to you, it's going to cost you money, but those costs I do believe you will be able to claim back if you are successful in your action. But I think your first step now is to get that guy out by way of a court order. Don't act illegally because all you're going to do is give, you, give him the ammunition that he needs to drag this out. So that's the best thing I can do. Um, where about is the property? It's in, is it in, it's in Brockpun? No, it's in Boxburg. In Boxburg. Apologies, it's in Boxburg. There, there must be an attorney in Boxburg. I have no doubt that there are a few um, who can help you. But you will need a specialist eviction attorney, not a conveyancing attorney. You'll need an eviction attorney who will look at the lease agreement, who will look at the letter of demand, look at the letter of cancellation, see that everything is done correctly. Because this is the kind of person that will default on paying you and lie by giving a promise in writing to an attorney that he wants to buy the property, you can be rest assured he'll pull every trick out of the book in order to ensure that he continues to stay there and keep occupation. That's my uh, best thank advice. You very much. Mm, I, wish, yeah, I wish you good luck, Albert. It's good a horrible luck. one. Yeah, it doesn't sound too good, but good yep. luck. Hopefully you'll Thanks. win this, uh, this battle. <laughs> thank you. Good Thanks. luck to you. Good night to you. Right, Michael in Durban, good evening. Good evening. How are you all? Oh, very well, thank you. How are you? Well, thank you. I just want to find out. I'm a, I'm a rental tenant in, in a block of flats mm. with a two-year lease. And in the last five months, I've had a, a medical problem 
which is very, very expensive. Uh, it's costing like 3,000 rand a week and I'm not in medical aid. So due to that, I've been paying my rental around about the 25th or the 27th. Now, according to the lease, lease agreement, it should be paid on the first of the month. Yes. Uh, and, but I did explain to them for the last five months, that due to my medical condition, I can only pay my rental around about between the 25th and 27th, which I have been doing regularly. It's not in areas. It's been paid in the very month. But now they've given me a letter to say the lease is cancelled and I need to move out on the 31st of August. Is that normal? Let me let me paint you the, the legal picture and then I'll paint you the moral picture. Well, let's first start with the legal picture. The legal picture is that if there's a lease agreement which calls upon you to make payment by the first of the month, presumably without deduction or without set-off, that is what you have to do. By not doing that, you're breaching the lease agreement. Whatever the circumstances are, and they are definitely tragic circumstances, that is a breach of the agreement. What your landlord would be compelled to do would be to give you a period of time to remedy that breach. So it wouldn't automatically be a letter of cancellation. That would be premature. There would have to be a letter given to you, giving you an opportunity to remedy your breach. They can't cancel your lease until 20 business days have gone by from the date of the letter to the date 20 days henceforth. So they can't cancel the lease. They can demand that you pay that rental within seven days or five days or 10 days, but they can't cancel the lease. So the legal position is they can give you a letter of demand. If you don't make payment in terms of that letter, they can cancel. The second thing you need to understand is that even if you spoke to them and you agreed or you told them unilaterally that you can only make payment on the 25th of the month, which invariably is late, if you think about it, because payment is an advance for rental. In that instance, unless you have agreed in writing to change the terms of the lease, there's usually what we call a non-variation clause in the lease, which doesn't allow for any changes to take place unless they're reduced to writing and signed between the parties. So even though you say to them your circumstances are what they are, and you will pay that amount and you're not in, in arrears, the fact that you're not in arrears is completely immaterial. You can pay late every single month and not be in arrears, but you've breached the agreement. What I can tell you, however, is that if they choose to proceed with an eviction of you based on your circumstances, I have no doubt that you'll be able to put together a set of papers before the court wherein you will buy yourself a tremendous amount of time because I do not believe any court in the country is simply going to evict you, especially if you are paying your rental every month, albeit not timelessly and even though you are in breach. There is a human factor, there is a public policy factor, and there is clearly uh, a mitigating factor that the court will consider. So just to, to, to paint a smaller picture, I don't believe that you will not be evicted. I do believe that there will be an eviction order granted against you because of the breach, and unfortunately it's a pretty tough situation. On the other hand, I do believe you'll be able to argue for a substantial period of time in order to find alternative accommodation. So uh, that that's my honest answer. Morally, uh, I, you know, we, we act for landlords where we have to take very strong approaches against tenants. I think the fact that you've been forthcoming will certainly be help, helpful to you to buy yourself a tremendous amount of time, but I don't believe you'll be able to escape an eviction order if the landlord follows the law correctly by giving you a letter of demand and then cancelling it if you haven't rectified your breach. Does that make sense, Michael? Yes, yes, no, definitely does. Uh, Thank you so much. I have an idea what to do now. Thank you. Fantastic. Good luck. Good luck to you. But the thing is, uh, can they, for example, how, how do I get uh, 
more time because I, I just within 30 days I'm not going to find a place. The bottom line is that they can't evict you until they bring an eviction application against you. When they bring that eviction application, it has to be served on you. You'll get 14 court days to oppose it. And then when you have to do that, that is when you'll put in your defense. That is when you'll go to an attorney, if that's your, your, your prerogative. Um, and that is when you'll be able to put your papers before the court. So nothing's going to happen until for at least a month. Well, Will that be in a form of a summons? Sort of? No, it's actually different to summons. It'll be an eviction application. A summons is for rental or damages. An eviction application is done on, on motion. It's an actual application to court, and it has to be served on you. It's done by way of affidavit. So it won't be a summons. How, but it, how do they send it to me? It's, it's it'll be served by the sheriff. Or, oh, okay. All right. The that sheriff of the court will order. serve it, and invariably they'll have to serve it upon you as opposed to a summons, which can be attached to the door. So look out for that, and um, if there's a letter of demand that's been sent to you, threatening you, I think it's important that you take note of who that attorney is, and let them know that any application they choose to bring will be opposed by you, and you will be setting out your circumstances, why you believe you're entitled to stay there until alternative accommodation is provided, etc., etc. But I, I assure you now, any clever attorney will be able to buy you a number of months. Thank you so much. Good Thank luck. Nice Good luck to you, Michael. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just a reminder, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. <clears throat> My guest tonight is Marlon Chevalu, and he's an attorney practicing here in Cape Town as Marlon Chevalu and Associates. And this evening we're discussing rental property law. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. Lennox in Pretoria. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm um, okay. Um, I'm having two questions. The first one is that um, I actually started um, a property renting out to, to the tenants. And I started with a two-bedroom, but I eventually extended the, the house to about the 32 rooms. And uh, all of those rooms have um, different um, tenants in it. I just want to find out whether maybe... Should I register as, as as a business entity, or maybe what 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 needs to happen? And secondly, I don't know if maybe um, you will be able to answer this one. Um, it does not relate to the property rental, but it relates to the sale of a property where I was actually uh, misguided. There's a property that has been sold on auction in absentia. I was not aware that the property has been sold and. Uh, I end up now having to pay for the, um, they, they said the outstanding debt that uh, they couldn't recover while they were auctioning the property. That is the information that I received from, from the bank. Let me just let me just deal with question number two first, uh, Lennox. Um, you're saying a property was sold without your knowledge. Was that your property? Yeah, it is my property. So just a, a vacant stand, a residential stand. Okay, so... And when the bank auctioned it, I, I, I was never served with any documents. And, uh, but I but presumably, the bank, the, presumably the bank sold it because they foreclosed on the property, because the bond wasn't paid. Would that be correct? Yes. So the bank didn't serve any documents on you, and you weren't aware of the auction at all? No, I was not aware. And the property was obviously sold for less than the price that it was owing, and now you are personally liable for the balance, which is pretty much how it works. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how you would never have known about that. Um, you never received any letters from the bank telling you to keep your bond payments up to date? Um, I actually defaulted. It was about uh, 20000 
which I defaulted on, and the property I, I actually was paying or repaying a bond of uh, 460. So I defaulted on a number of months uh, okay. following a sequence, and then um, when 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 the bank decided to sell the property, then uh, I was I was never informed. I only learned that uh, when I visited the site that they were people that were actually auctioning from the security. Look, I can tell you now that, you know, in the event that property has been transferred to a third party, you may have a bit of a problem, but I think you need to do thorough investigation then. You definitely need to get an attorney on board to investigate that because uh, I'm struggling to understand why the bank would not do that. And I can't assume that they did. Maybe they served papers, maybe it blew away in the wind. But I can tell you now, though, that if property, the property has been sold in execution and a third party has purchased it, if anything, you may have a claim for the damages you've suffered against the bank. Uh, I don't believe you'll have a claim against the new purchaser, but you definitely have to do some investigation as to when it was registered. You'd be entitled to see exactly what documentation was was served on you, allegedly, and I, I think you'd definitely be able to get some information. So that, that you can get an attorney to do to get hold of the bank because they would, they would have to have been a court order by a high court or a magistrate's court which okay. declared that property executable in a court of law. So there's definitely some comeback there if you can prove that you never got it because your logic is had you known about this, you potentially would have made a plan to sort out the yeah. default. Yeah. So that's, that's the best advice I can give you from that second question. Just as we got to the first question, it's a, quite a curious question. You said you're renting out how many rooms? 32 rooms yeah. in, a, in a building. In a one building, and um, yeah, this this these whole rooms are actually up for for rental. So I just want to find out whether maybe I should register this as a as an as a business entity, or can I just continue to um, to do the business the way I'm doing? Well, it's it's purely a, it's a purely a tax issue. If you've got a close corporation or a company, you can have a clever accountant to structure it for you. But whatever rental income you earn, you're going to have to declare it to the receiver revenue. But you know, if you do structure it carefully, there's m- many ways to skin a cat and how you can set off rentals against expenses, etc. So there's definitely, as opposed to registering a business entity, uh, I, I wouldn't do that right now, simply because if you set up a company, you would have to transfer the property into the commercial entity and that will come with transfer duty. So doing it individually is fine for now. I mean, I don't see a problem in that, but I'm saying to you right now, you would need to consider getting advice from an accountant um, okay. as opposed to an attorney in this instance. My hope would be to suggest that you have a decent lease agreement for those rooms. And, uh, and I think it's fantastic. Obviously, if it's your property, you can do what you want. If, for example, you were doing that for somebody else, then you'd have a problem because you'd have to be an estate agent. But if it's your property and you're earning income, as long as you, you comply with the requirements of SARS, I don't see a problem. But I do think that there could be more tax advantageous to have it done through maybe a trust or a, or a PTY limited. Um, oh. Yeah, that's what I would think, but it's going to require transfer duty in transferring the building into a commercial entity, which might probably you know, negate the profit you're making from renting out those rooms. So, so speak to your accountant, um, Lennox, if you have one. Um, if not, I can always put you in touch with one. There's some really good accountants out there. Oh, okay. All oh, right. Okay. Thanks, 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 Lennox. Lennox. Thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Joan in the Western Cape, good evening. Good evening. How are you? Very well. How are you? Fine, thank you. I need some advice, please. On the 22nd of um, this month, uh, last month, um, I'm speaking on behalf of a family. Um, Their dad died, and they live overseas. And uh, part of the estate 
um, is a is a home which has been rented out, um, and it's the lease is, uh, only expires in 2015. What is the situation now? If this, if, the, if these children want to sell the house, um, as far as the tenant goes. Well, let me ask this question. You're saying that the property was owned by the deceased? Yes, that's right. Okay, so now the estate late is now in control of the property. Yeah. So effectively, it's in the hands of the executor. The bottom line is that the fact that, and it's unfortunate as it sounds, the fact that the landlord has passed away does not negate the lease agreement. The lease is still very much alive. That tenant has still every right, in fact and in law, to continue occupying the premises. The only difference is that they'll be paying into the estate late or paying the executor on behalf of the of the estate so if the if the the beneficiaries would like to to go ahead and sell the property um, if they want to sell the property they're going to have to acknowledge the principle that the lease agreement will survive any sale so in my opinion nothing would change unfortunately okay all right i just wanted to clarify that thank you very much thanks good night bye-bye uh, Lulu, in the Free State, I believe you have a humorous rental story for us. We need well, some lightness. Well, I hope you find it so. I owe you one after many times that I received help from you. Okay, the scene is Sunnyside, Pretoria, some decades ago. The main character, um, landlord, short little man from Lithuania, uh, mostly irritated. Um, and he told me how he dealt, what he did to get a tenant out um, of a flat, he is the owner of uh, was the owner of two blocks of flats, and uh, this tenant had a very noisy bath. He splashed around at midnight. It couldn't have been too bad because what there's not much you can do in a bath. He wasn't um, he wasn't inebriated or anything. Anyway, uh, early the next morning, this landlord owner sent in his two strong. Zulu gardeners, uh, they grabbed hold of the mattress, carried it out, put it in the lift, carried it with the man still half asleep on top of the mattress, and put it on the sidewalk end of story. I don't think that's legal, actually. Marlon, what do you think? I don't think so. Did he make a clean getaway? I think that's the <laughs> Oh, Marlon, no, that's too much. Thank no, you. Bye. Thanks, Lulu. Bye-bye. Well, they say rental letters have their ups and downs. Yeah, so. I, I don't, I don't no, think anyone st- should take that as advice. It's completely legal. Doing that. It's completely legal. Uh, you can't do that. No, you can't. And if you if no. you can find up an attorney and ask if that's legal, uh, any attorney with his salt would say, please, you know, yeah, do call that. me from jail. Yeah. <laughs> Um, to, to turn it on to a serious side, actually, um, there's been a recent amendment. Well, it's, it's done in, in 2008, actually. But the Rental Housing Act was amended in terms of Section 16, which now makes it a criminal action to to cut off utilities and yes, to deprive yeah. somebody. So before it was just a civil action, uh, as was mentioned earlier, about you can't just walk into a property and throw them out or shut off the utilities or cut electricity or deprive them of their or right change to change the locks or anything whatever. Anything along yeah. those lines. There used to be just a civil claim whereby you would be able to go to court and be put back into the property and have the other side pay your costs. Now it's actually a criminal offence in terms of Section 16. So you could end up getting locked up? Yeah, I mean, talk about the ignominy mm. of being locked up whilst your tenant who hasn't paid rent or stays at your property for free. No, it's beyond it's nice. me. Oh. Beyond me. Dill and Christiana, good evening. Hi, good evening. How are you? Ma'am? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Um, I've got a question for the attorney. I was renting a property some time in 2011 and my lease was expiring July 2011. I moved out uh, officially 
end of uh, July because I I bought a property which I was moving to, and uh, I moved in. Uh, I wanted to move mid July, but the landlord said I should move in, move out end of July because uh, anything that would have happened between the time of moving out and um, and end of July was going to be on my account. Now, since then, I've been battling to get my deposit mm. uh, for that I paid uh, him when I moved in. I paid him two months' deposit, and I'm struggling to get uh, that money back. I've sent him several emails, and he says to me, uh, you only pay me my deposit if um, he checks if uh, there's any break-in, there was anything broken or anything damaged that... Uh, I would need to settle. You would need to settle for my deposit. But it's two years now. Yes, it's two okay. years now. Let me let me let me paint you the picture, Adele. Um, the Rental Housing Act. In fact, if you if you're able to go in, into internet, I don't know if you've got internet access, but if you do, if not, you can email Karen and she'll send you the Rental Housing Act or a link to the Rental Housing Act. The Rental Housing Act in section five in brackets three, subsection three, has a list of terms which are cannot be waived. In other words, that is the law with regard to rentals. And it's very, very, very clear that any deposit that is paid, firstly, it accrues interest to your benefit. So any interest on that deposit is yours. That deposit can only be used if there's an incoming inspection at the time of you moving in and an outgoing inspection, which needs to take place not later than three days before the lease comes to an end. You look at the two inspections together, and if there are damages, unless it's fair wear and tear, if there are any damages which the landlord can show by way of a receipt that needs to be fixed because you caused it, then he's entitled to take that money off. Irrespective of whether he takes one cent off or no amount off, there cannot be a payment back to you later than 21 days after the lease has come to an end. So it's either seven days after the lease comes to an end or 14, but a maximum of 21 days. There cannot be a retention of your deposit past those 21 days because that is an unfair rental practice act. So my best advice to you is, firstly, go to the rental housing tribunal and lay a claim for the money that you are owed, which would be the deposit. Let me even take it further. Did he call for an outgoing inspection with you three days before the lease came to an end? Uh, no, he didn't at all. Well, what uh, he did is when yeah. uh, when I told him that I want to move in early, will that be fine with to move out early? Will that be fine with him? Yes. He then rejected and said, "No, you have to move in and move out end of month." Then uh, after I think about a week, he then said, "Oh, okay, it's fine. You can move out. I want uh, my guys to come and do the painting uh, of the house because uh, he had there's a few guys we had come in to view the house." So I think maybe those guys might have told him that they want to move in to move in L. I don't know, because I then told him, okay. Uh, but Dal, let me let me let me interrupt you quickly. Just just this is the question I need to ask you because it's incredibly important. It doesn't matter what time you agreed. You can agree to leave at a certain time. But the bottom line is that if he told you to leave at a certain time, there would have to have been an outgoing inspection, which means he would have had to have come there, notified you, organized the time for either him or his agent to come with you to the premises, do a thorough outgoing inspection. Did that happen at all? No, it didn't. Even when I moved in, there was no okay. Well, let me put you this way. It's very important for one very simple reason. If there was not an incoming inspection or an outgoing inspection or both, even if you caused damages to the property, he cannot keep one cent. 
And that's the bottom line. So even if there was damages, if you did not call for an outgoing inspection, the rental tribunal will back me up in this, I hope. And there was no incoming inspection And no incoming. So even if there was an outgoing, there'd be nothing to compare it to. He has no right to hold onto that deposit. You're entitled to your entire deposit plus interest. If it's been two years, if you don't do anything for a period of three years, you will lose your claim irrevocably. So if I were you, I would definitely go to the tribunal, lay a, a claim for unfair unfair practice on, on the landlord's part, let them send a letter out to this landlord convening a mediation or an arbitration or a hearing and let him come explain his side of the story. But I can tell you now, and I've appeared in the tribunal and I've appeared in court more times than I care to remember, and I can tell you now, the tribunal is not going to want to hear from the landlord if he has not complied with those very simple terms of an incoming and an outgoing. That I can assure you, I put my head on the block for that. Can I ask you one question? This is always me just being a little bit Otherwise, um, he gets his money that he's deposited, which is supposedly invested, so he should get the interest. Correct. What about the two years it's been? He's been waiting. Can he get interest? Can he demand interest on the money for this Absolutely. period as well? So it's not just the no. time of his lease. Absolutely, interest so, on the so deposit. So you you need to get interest on that money on your deposit from the day you gave it to him until the day that you get it back. So long as the interest does not exceed the capital because of the yeah. duplum rule. Yeah. But I can tell you now that if I were you, I would not hesitate. Go to the tribunal. Fill in a claim. There's, it's, it's in my opinion from what you're telling me. And obviously, I haven't seen the lease, and I haven't, you know, I don't have an instruction. But I can tell you from what you've told me on the on the on the on the line, you certainly have a claim and to the entire deposit. No, don't leave it, because a letter of demand is not going to interrupt that prescriptive process. You've got to get a court order or issue a summons, but do something to make him realise that he owes the deposit plus interest from date of investment till the date it was to be repaid plus interest. From, okay. from the date that it was to be paid until now. One more year and then you've lost it. Then you can't claim anymore. Yes, that would be okay. prescribed. But really, I, I encourage you, Dal, to, to act immediately because that's your money and there's yeah. no basis in law for him to hold on to that. Okay, thanks. All right, Dal. Good luck. Good luck, Dal. Okay, thank Thanks you. for getting through. Good night. Amazing. It's, it's, some people think they can just get a, do their own thing. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it takes a phone call like this to make people realise that, you know, even though I represent landlords more than tenants, because mm. that's the nature of, of, of my firm, I can tell you now that if a landlord had to come to me and tell me that that is what he's done to his tenant, I would show him the door because it's illegal. Right. Jay in Durban, good evening. Good evening, Karen. Thank you. I, uh, a year ago, I had this problem, but I, I must thank you for this uh, educative uh, uh, program that you have. I did proceed with all the instructions that was given, went up to, uh, uh, gone right up to rental tribunal and got an attorney. But what I want to know, the tenant promised to sign that agreement uh, Due to some time constraints, it overlapped two weeks. And when I got back to them, he uh, they wasn't around to sign it. They were gone on long distance. And by the time they got back, it, were, it left into the following month. And it, they refused to sign that lease agreement. It's gone right down, going into 10 months now. They haven't paid me one single rent, no uh, light account and water account has been paid. My credit card uh, box has been interfered with. And top it all, to have insult to injury, racist remarks was passed at my son and I, and which was quite, quite hurtful. But what I want to know, in them not signing the lease agreement, can't an immediate 
throw out. This is what I, I I'm no. so frustrated now. Can they no. be thrown out immediately? No, no, they can't. Yeah. I know, I know. You, I, I was expecting that. Uh, a letter of eviction was done through my attorney. Um, a letter of demand was done, failure mm-hmm. to pay rental and electricity. At rental and tribunal requested three times for them to appear. They uh, ignored all that and, and stated that they didn't receive any any of the letters from the sheriff, which was a lie. I was present when the sheriff went to the property and pushed those letters underneath the door. And okay, now well, I want to know yes. now. Yes. If this is ever going to, uh, because I've been uh, I've been told that these people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they want to take over the building. Joe, well, well, look, I mean, I don't know all the facts, and you've got an attorney on board, and I'm not going to try and encroach upon what your attorney's been telling you. But I am telling you right now, if the tribunal has called for three times and they've probably subpoenaed them and they haven't come, the tribunal must make an order in absentia. And once that order is there, you can go ahead and execute if you owed money. The fact that they have not signed a lease, in my opinion, is completely inconsequential. The formalities of Land Act in the Rental Housing Act itself clearly say that there are no particular formalities that have to be complied with. So if a tenant agrees to pay your rental and it isn't signed in terms of a lease. An oral lease is absolutely fine. It just comes down to the credibility of the landlord and the tenant. So that's not an issue. If the tribunal has made an order, that order is an order of a magistrate's court in terms of section 13 in brackets 13 of the Rental Housing Act. So that doesn't, that doesn't concern me at all. If you want to evict them, you will have to bring an eviction application. So it's, it's very, very simple. The Rental Housing Tribunal has no jurisdiction to grant eviction orders, but they've got every jurisdiction in the world to grant an order for monies that are due owing and payable to you arising out of an oral lease or a lease that is presented to them and unsigned. It comes down to the fact that they are in your property. You put an oral lease to them of what they were to pay. There was a time lapse, whatever the case might be, but they're in your property and they can't stay there for free. So your attorney should be pushing that matter through the tribunal, pushing to get an order, because an order of the tribunal is an order of court, and I would get a warrant of execution to immediately attach whatever property they've got for the rental that's owing to you. And on top of that, I would bring eviction application against them to get them out, because there is no basis in law for them to stay there for 10 months at your cost. Never in my life have I heard of that. So you've got plenty of options available to you, as long as you've got the right attorney. That's that's the most yeah. important thing. Okay, Jay. Yeah. Well, Thank that, you so much. Thanks. You were very, very knowledgeable this program. <laughs> Thank and you. I've learned a lot. Thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Jay. Good night to you. you. Right, staying in KZN, off to Margate. Mark, good evening. Yes, good evening. Wonderful show as usual. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Mark. Just a, uh, maybe a solution for that gentleman that uh, unfortunately received an eviction order after his tragic story yes. of uh, illness. Uh, it sounds like he's a regular payer, which would be very silly of a landlord to have him removed. Can't he pay in advance? Pay an extra month, and he will actually be a week in advance. I actually thought about to, that, but he was saying that he's. That to, no, I, I see. I know where you're coming from, Mark, because I actually thought about that when he was talking. But then he'd have to find that extra month's um, rent, and he's already battling with three thousand rand a month's medical, uh, three thousand rand a week's medical uh, costs. So yeah, I actually did think about that. Yeah. Look, uh, I, and you know, and yeah. discuss it directly with the landlord. I'm Look, sure let me let me just add this in. I think a mutual benefit. Mm, well, Ma- absolutely. Mark, I think you're 100 right. I mean, I don't believe there's a right, well, not a right. I don't believe there's a need to evict a, a paying tenant. It's completely no, no. masochistic. But the, the logic is this: until that decision is made, until that gentleman is able to make that plan. 
the lease agreement is strong in law. That's the sole memorial. I understand. It is in breach of a. It's um, in breach. I mean, strong legal. Um, uh, and it's horrible. Uh, it is. Yeah. And a good but, landlord but, would say, you know what? You know, purely without any waiver of my rights, I'm willing to agree for you to sort yourself out now. And going forward, you can make a plan. Because, if it's, you know, these days, it's one thing for a landlord to evict a tenant. It's another thing, um, Mark, to go ahead and mitigate your loss and procure a yes. new tenant. And you've got a tenant here who, notwithstanding his medical disability, which if 12 grand a month, 3 grand a week, he's yeah. obviously he's a man of means. And Absolutely, yeah. I would, and I would challenge. I think maybe, maybe the landlord's name should be mentioned. No. Having we no. don't know who he is, and we wouldn't do it anyway because we could be uh, sitting know, in court ourselves but no yes. I know but, uh, but uh, it's it's I mean you think you we're listening to people with landlords saying you know I've got this tenant who hasn't paid and this one's sitting yes, in my, yes. and here's well, somebody who's yes. actually paying mind, yeah. albeit late but he's still paying but what's also important yeah. is that the actual cost of going to an attorney and getting an eviction oh, will be exactly. cost ineffective it will cost a few months rental and uh, I just think that it's for my opinion because it's an issue of a constitutional right section 26 the constitutional right to have housing um, I believe that this tenant would have uh, grounds to drag the matter out. But then it's going to cost him, and he doesn't really have the money either. So, But morally, I mean, the morally landlord the is just not right. Correct. But not I appreciate right. the input. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Okay, yeah, I mean, there's the letter of the law and the... There's the morals of the yeah, law. Absolutely. Well. They're two different things, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Oh, well, lovely. Thanks, Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Thanks for the Mark. comments. Good night to you. Staying in Durban, Moses, good evening. Hi, good evening. Hello, how can we help you? Yes. I'm a landlord. Mm. And I have um, agents letting out my property. <clears throat> Whenever they find me a tenant, they usually take a percentage of the rent for the lease period, either you know an agreed percentage, for example, five percent. And um, if during um, the lease period, if for some reason the tenant um, uh, uh, you know cannot afford to pay the rental or something like that. Um, does the agent have to refund the remaining of you know the remaining uh, uh, commission that they have taken? L- let me ask you this question: Is it a procurement lease or a managed lease? I presume it's a managed lease. Would that be correct? In managed, other words, yes. So what happens is every single month the tenant pays say five thousand rand rental. They will take off five hundred rand and they will credit you the four thousand five hundred rand. There's a very big difference between a managed lease and a procurement lease. A procurement lease is they put the two together. So you get a managing agent or a rental agent or an estate agent. They find you a tenant and they say, right, Moses, you're the landlord. That's the tenant. Putting you two together. How long is the lease? One year. Great. We will take 8% of the entire lease period up front. Thank you and goodbye. That's not an issue. That commission cannot be touched because they've done their job. However, when a tenant, uh, when a landlord is having a lease managed by a rental agent, their commission is only earned every single month as the month comes along. So in essence, if a tenant chooses to cancel, and as you know, the Consumer Protection Act allows a tenant to cancel at any time on 20 business days notice, I don't believe that the said agent would have to refund you the commission, but they certainly will not be entitled to claim the commission in advance for the rest of the lease period because they have not seen that lease period out. Yeah, well, it sounds so, like Moses said, you. it sounds like you were telling us that you, that the agent had actually been paid in advance. Yeah. But have they been paid in advance for the entire lease period? Or, no, no, just for, the, just for the procurement. No, so the procurement. So they had a procurement fee and a managed fee. Would that be correct? Yes. That's yes, not a very common right. thing where they take an amount up front for procuring and putting the deal together, and then the balance is amortized over the lease period. So in that instance, I can tell you that they 
they don't have to refund it. In fact, in terms of a well-drafted lease agreement, which I happen to do many of, um, we have a commission clause as part of the reasonable cancellation penalty so that if the tenant breaches the lease or tenant gives notice to leave, which they were entitled to, the landlord is entitled to claim a reasonable penalty. And part of that reasonable penalty is the actual basis of, of certain of the commission that the managing agent would have earned had that lease continued for its duration. So short answer in a long way, and don't forget we charge by the word, Moses, <laughs> is that um, I don't believe any duty to repay the commission. Not for the procurement part, absolutely not, and not for the managed part, but they obviously can't claim any commission they would have earned had the tenant not breached. Right. All right. I hope that makes okay. sense. So, <laughs> yes. Thanks, Moses. I, have, I yeah. have one more question. Okay. okay. Um, you see, <clears throat> if, we have, if we have tenants and the rental includes the water, for example. Yes. Um, after a while, we decide that the water count is very high and we put a, te- a meter in each of the units, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the tenant comes back and tells you, previously, <clears throat> uh, the rental included the, 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 the water. What percentage of the rental made up the water? And uh, he'll tell you, deduct that amount from the rental so that we come to the basic rental and then he'll keep on paying the water account. Is that, is, is that what a, a tenant can do? Let me put you this way. If the lease agreement says the rental includes the water, that is what the, that is it. I mean, irrespective of what the water amount is, that is what the agreement says. So I don't believe there's any basis in law for you to go ahead and change the lease agreement unless the landlord and the tenant unilaterally or together agree to have that change. So if the lease, is, the lease rental amount is 5000 a month and it's not specified what amount is rental and what amount is water, that might potentially be a problem. So I can tell you now that if you want to put a water meter in, you can obviously change the lease as long as there's an agreement to change the lease, that certain amount will be allocated towards the water and certain amount will be allocated towards the rent, because there are two separate issues. So if the fact that it's combined as one rental amount inclusive of water, in my opinion, Moses, could potentially be a problem. So we should drop a new lease agreement. Drop a new lease or do an addendum where you correctly reflect that going forward, the rental will be RAND X and the water will be RAND Y. Rental will be paid in advance and water will be paid in arrears. You can reflect it any way you want, but you can't unilaterally change that without the consent of the tenant because that is not what the lease says. Okay. All right, Moses. I'm being a total uh, spoiler here tonight. I'm really sorry (laughs) about that. I'm just telling it as it is. Okay, Moses. I think, I, think lost him. Gone. I think he scared him off. Oh, okay, we're still in Durban. Abdul, good evening. Good evening, lady and gentlemen. Yes. How can we help you, Abdul? Yeah, my, my problem is I am a chairperson of a, of a block of flats. There are 12 units in the flat, and there are eight defaulters here who haven't been paying the levies. So I first sent them letters of warning twice, and then after I consulting your attorney, yes. who sent them summons. Now, they had a meeting with uh, recently. They really don't want to pay the money. They had a meeting um, with um, a managing agent. The managing agent pro- promised them that he will abolish this uh, levy. Is that possible? <laughs> no, that's impossible. Levies need to be paid by the unit owners for the maintenance and upkeep of the building. 
uh, there is not one. I mean, we represent a number of bodies corporate. Those levies need to be paid, and if those levies aren't paid, your attorney should not only sue them, but get judgment against them, and if they don't pay, attach their units and sell them to get the levies. So much so that if that happens, you will get paid your levies first before anyone else. So abolishing levies is... I've never heard of that in my life. I don't mm. know how any unit owner can... It's a common kitty that is used to keep the building and allow capital appreciation to be added to the units. To abolish levies is... I've, I'm really, I don't know how to do that. I'm just, Martin looks absolutely dumbfounded. I mean, it's, it's, I've never heard of that you, before. You couldn't even take a resolution to that effect because it's a complete breach of the Sectional Title Act. I mean, yes. even if you agreed, a, a wholehearted quorum agrees to abolish levies, how are you going to pay your insurance? How are you going to maintain the building? Yes. How are you going to yes, sell? Yes. How are you going to sell a unit when yes, a purchaser says, well, what levies are in place or what special levies are in place? How are you going to have resolutions? How are you going to have an annual general meeting? I've, I've never in my life. And I'd love to know yes. who this managing agent is. Please don't mention the name. No, and, uh, I haven't been cutting the class because there's no money in the bank. Well, if they abolish levies, there never will be money in the bank. So if I were you, I would take those units away from them because if that's the logic that they have, they don't deserve to own property. Yes, sir. My, my, my attorney warned them about attachment yes. to immovable stuff from uh, the flat. And then thereafter, of course, uh, as you said, uh, We'll have to sell yes, I mean, the movable property is the first port of call. Then you have to go by way of Section 66 of the Magistrates Court Act, which will allow you to actually declare that property executable. Once that property gets sold in execution, then I promise you they'll come to the party. But surely, yeah. Absolutely. But really, it's not a difficult thing to do. But abolishing levies. Gonna, wow. And they're going to dance the limo. So, and they're going to dance the limo. Thank you, Mr. Legal Eagle, and a lady with many health. Thank no, you, thank Abdul. <laughs> At this point, I think everybody's wanting to move into that block if you have no levies. I'm sure they're clamouring to get in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they want to live for free, man. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Abdul, thank you very much for the call. You have a good night. You too. Thanks. Good night to you. We've got about a minute and a half. Ray in Cape Town, if you can be very brief, we'll take your call. Yes, hi, Corin. Hi, Marlon. Hi. Hello, Ray. Hi. Hi, just a quick one. Um, Marlon, I've been finding lately, I'm an agent in Cape Town, and I've been finding lately that a lot of the tenants, we, we take them out to view our, our, our uh, properties, and uh, we find them going back, you know, behind our backs, and uh, a little bit later after the viewing, uh, they go and knock on the door, uh, you know, as I said, approach the landlord directly, and uh, essentially cut us out of the deal. Mm. Um, we've, I suppose with the economic climate, this has been a trend that's been increasing, what sort of uh, protection can one take uh, against uh, such uh, such acts? Uh, you know, I'm having them sign viewing cards, trying to see if they can, you know, uh, you know, confirm a viewing in, in writing, so that I've got some some sort of evidence. But what could I essentially do? Um, the bottom line okay. is that you, you, sorry, Ray, not because I know we're running out of time, um, yeah. and you're welcome to give me a call tomorrow because I know who you are. But the bottom line <laughs> is that a letter of demand telling them that you were the effective cause. We are continually claiming commissions for landlords. The fact that they sign up with the landlord after you, they've been introduced to the property by you does not negate the fact that you were the effective cause. Right. And the fact that they sign with the landlord and they diss you and they totally ignore the fact that you were the introducing party does not negate the fact that you're entitled to your commission. And I promise you now, I'm happy to write a letter t on your behalf. If they're going to turn around and say that you never introduced them, well, then they're going to be perjuring themselves. But I would still write that letter and bring them to court and wrap them over the knuckles. Ray, um, thank you so much for the call, but <laughs> we've really got to the end of the show. Thank you for getting through to us. Good night to you.
My thanks once again this evening to Marlon Chevalier, an attorney practicing here in Cape Town as Marlon Chevalier and Associates, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. And Marlon will be back with us again on Monday, the 26th of August. Marlon, thank you so much for joining us. Great show. Lovely to be here. Thanks again, Corin. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And in the program next week, we'll be discussing labor law with Michael Bagram and taking a look at how to run an arbitration. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 5th of August. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters. And we'll be doing an extra phone-in show tomorrow evening when we'll be talking about Alzheimer's and dementia. So join me then. If you'd like to contact me, email is law at safm.co.za and the Facebook page Law on SAFM.